Welcome to Reductio Adventures and Ideas. I'm your host, Andrew Lavin. Reductio is a show about philosophy, about ideas, and about understanding ourselves and our world more clearly. Brought to you by Inverted Spectrum Media. I spoke with Thaddeus Metz from the University of Pretoria in South Africa. Uh, I'm Thaddeus Metz. Uh, people call me Thad. I'm professor of philosophy at the University of Pretoria in South Africa. I'm actually teaching a paper of Thad's in my Meaning of Life class this semester. He wrote the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy article on the meaning of life, but that's not what we talked about during our interview, or at least not exactly. We talked instead about the sub-Saharan African ethic of Ubuntu. Many nerds will recognize this name as the name of an operating system that's a version of Linux, but the word comes from South Africa originally. So I could start by saying the word Ubuntu uh, literally means humanness uh, in the Nguni languages of Southern Africa. So that's principally Zulu, Posa, and uh, Ndebele. Um, and in terms of its history, it's, it's become uh, uh, salient. The word has become salient um, uh, only recently, uh, really since the 1990s. Um, it was certainly used by indigenous cultures, indigenous peoples, uh, for much longer than that, uh, several hundred years, I would say. Um, and there is a scholar, Christian Gade, who's uh, charted its use in writing uh, uh, over the past, I don't know, uh, 50, 100 years or so. Uh, but we can say with some firmness that it was really in the 1990s that uh, it became uh, salient uh, in writing uh, amongst uh, philosophers. And partly that was due to the influence of Nelson Mandela and Desmond Tutu in South Africa, who did famously invoke uh, the word um, as part of a roughly a nation-building campaign uh, uh, to try to put South Africa on a new footing um, and to make sense of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in particular. The other thing that led to Ubuntu gaining prominence in academic discourse is simply the, the much greater presence of black academics in the academy. Um, so during apartheid, there just really weren't a lot of uh, uh, lecturers of African descent, um, but they've, uh, uh, in the transition to democracy and equality, uh, a lot more of them have been appointed, and they're naturally interested in their, their own cultures, uh, and so have been exploring uh, Ubuntu. Um, uh, um, the word is used in three different ways that it's worth distinguishing. Uh, most literally, I've pointed out, it means humanness. So that's a trait, um, uh, a kind of a feature of virtue. I mean, a virtue or excellence, human excellence would be equivalence as well. Uh, so sometimes it's, it's meant to pick out a feature of that we, some humans, exhibit and others do not. Um, other times it refers to an ethic or a moral philosophy um, or the sort of heart of moral thinking amongst uh, indigenous uh, African peoples, or particularly those in Southern Africa. And then sometimes the word is used to uh, signify a broader uh, culture or philosophy, uh, one in which uh, humanness is particularly prized. Um, um, I, 
I'm going to suppose that we want to focus on uh, Ubuntu understood as an ethic or a, a moral philosophy. Um, and the first place to start there is with a, a common maxim, a person is a person through other persons. And you'll see that in, in a large majority of basic expositions of, of what's going on with Ubuntu as an ethic. Um, and so if we, if we, in plain English, that means virtually nothing. A person is a person through other persons. I mean, that's a, a person is a person, of course. A, a clock is a clock. A cat is a cat. We never thought a person was a chicken. I mean, it's a, the, the translation is accurate, um, uh, but it's overly literal. Um, and while many uh, African peoples associate various things with that phrase, so the maxim, a person is a person through other persons, uh, the meaning isn't worn on its sleeve. Um, and so what a number of us in philosophy have been trying to do is present interpretations of this maxim uh, whose meaning is more clear uh, and uh, receives an interpretation that's, that's um, of interest to a 21st century uh, uh, audience of philosophers and ethicists and, and policymakers and the like. Uh, so here's a bit of a stab at, at doing that. Um, uh, when, when Africans say a person is a person, um, part of what's going on there is something normative or ethical. There are also descriptive or metaphysical claims that are made here, but focusing on the ethics, there's a prescription to become a real person or a genuine person. Um, that's, that's implicit. Uh, so it's an instruction about how to develop one's personhood, which is thought to come in degrees. How is one to do that? Well, one's to do that through other persons. Um, and that is shorthand roughly um, for relating to them in a harmonious or communal manner. Um, so you put those two ideas together. Uh, one's basic goal in life uh, should be to develop one's personhood or one's humanness, become a genuine human or uh, live a genuinely human way of life. And the way to do that is to prize communal or harmonious relationships uh, with others. Um, and those who fail to do that uh, would be often called non-persons or zero persons. And in serious cases, um, indigenous Africans would call people animals. Um, and the claim would not be that they're literally no longer humans, but that they've failed uh, to realize their valuable, the valuable aspect of their human nature. I asked Metz what he thought of translating Ubuntu as humaneness rather than humanness. I don't like it. Um, uh, and the reason I don't like it is that I think it captures only half of what we care about characteristically when we're thinking about harmony or, or, or community. Um, um, so I've looked at the writings of, of a lot of African philosophers and, and related thinkers. And when they articulate what's involved in a harmonious or communal relationships, some of what they have in mind is a focus on other people's well-being, so some kind of beneficence or care. Um, and so there is, uh, there is something to the idea that there are connections between the ethic of care that's prominent in, in, in the West, uh, has become prominent since the 1980s, um, and an African ethic. Um, and so humaneness would capture that, that if we're humane to, to, a, to a being, um, we're concerned with its, with its good. Um, but I don't think that exhausts um, what African philosophers are characteristically interested in, morally speaking. Um, there's another way to relate communally or harmoniously. Um, and the term I use there is identifying with others or sharing a way of life with others. 
Um, and um, we can spell that out in various degrees, but at the core, I think uh, it involves a sense of togetherness. So enjoying being with others, liking being with them, taking pride in their accomplishments, uh, 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 feeling bad and, and, and taking some shame on when they, when they fail. Uh, but the other part of um, uh, sharing a way of life with others is cooperating with them. Um, so not, not remaining isolated from people's projects, but rather participating and doing so on an even-handed basis. Um, so though that it's not merely uh, care that we're interested in uh, when we're talking about harmony or community. It's also sharing a way of life. Um, and I think uh, one way to see why we might want both um, is to think about what's valuable about a family. So one way of understanding African ethics is it's giving you an interpretation of what's attractive about a family relationship, and in particular, an extended family relationship. African families tend not to be nuclear, at least traditionally speaking. And if you ask what's attractive about a family or a good family, a healthy family, not a dysfunctional one, um, it's not merely that the members care about each other or are humane to each other. It's also, I think, plausibly, uh, uh, the thought that they uh, share a sense of self, right? They think of themselves in terms of a we as opposed to an I. They identify with one another. They like being together, and they participate with each other. They, you know, they engage in projects and uh, uh, rituals um, and the like. Um, and so I think, that, I think that's a nice reason for rejecting humaneness as completely capturing Ubuntu. Uh, it's part of the story. Um, but another part is much more volitional or has to do with our agency. So what's the sort of big picture of African ethics as encapsulated in this idea of Ubuntu? Yeah, so I think the, the, I, the sort of big picture is uh, I view African ethics as, a, as prescribing cohesion, right? It wants us to come closer together. One way to do that is to help others and improve their quality of life. But another way is, is to have a common sense of self um, and to participate with others on a, on a cooperative basis or to coordinate ends, uh, we might put in Kantian language. Um, uh, so I think that is, that's another part of it. Um, and it's equally weighty in my reading of the tradition. And in my reading, I've encountered Jitche in Ghana, up in West Africa, and people like Nelson Mandela and Desmond Tutu in South Africa. So does the ethic of Ubuntu really span the whole of sub-Saharan Africa? Um, yes, it does. The word does not. So the word Ubuntu is, is Southern African. Um, and you will find cognate words among many of the Bantu languages um, that have, you know, the, the other languages that have a similar structure to uh, the Nguni language uh, that's, that's prominent in Southern Africa. But not all indigenous African languages are uh, Bantu structured. So not all of them have a cognate term. But on my reading of the tradition, um, there, the, the idea uh, the thought that one is uh, one's basic goal in life is to develop one's personhood and to do that through some kind of relationality with other persons, that strikes me uh, as as transcending these linguistic uh, divides. Uh, and so Jiche uh, does hold uh, uh, does speak of this uh, in his book Tradition and Modernity, um, and you will find. Um, you will find the idea prominent in, in many African, in the work of many African philosophers. There is one distinction, though, that I detect, um, um, and that's a tendency for um, 
uh, for the relationality to be understood either as an end or sometimes as a means. Um, so it's characteristic of the African tradition to think we develop our virtue by some kind of relationality. Uh, but then is the relationality to be valued for its own sake? It, does that constitute the virtue as it were? Um, or is it merely a tool to, uh, to produce some other good? Um, and Jiche uh, doesn't seem to value relationality for its own sake on my reading of him. Uh, he ultimately appears to value promotion of the common good. Right? He seems to think that our ultimate aim as a moral agent should be to act in ways that's likely to improve the quality of life of everyone that we could potentially affect, um, not merely a majority as per utilitarianism. We're supposed to tr strive to meet the needs of everybody, particularly if we're in a position of power. And he seems to think that relating communally would be a reliable means to that. Um, so if we uh, try to help others and we're generous and we're kind and the like, uh, the kindness and the generosity and the like are, are good as a tool to meet people's needs. Um, in contrast, uh, I think more prominent, at least amongst Southern African thinkers, is the idea that um, uh, we're not necessarily looking for any outcome beyond the relationship. Um, the relationship is one of beneficence. It's, it's oriented towards helping others. It's uh, presumably uh, uh, they should be, it should be likely that they're going to be benefited from the behavior. Um, but uh, uh, I think, you know, on my reading of the tradition, it's, it's at least in, in South Africa, uh, and Desmond Tutu is quite clear. I mean, he's, he says uh, uh, social harmony is for us, indigenous Africans, the greatest good. Um, and when you speak like that, it's, it's the relationship uh, that matters, uh, not its outcome. So there is a philosophical debate about uh, the status of the relationship, um, but uh, it's very common for African philosophers to think that some kind of relationality is essential uh, for virtue and, and right action as well. The ideal of Ubuntu was employed by Desmond Tutu and Nelson Mandela in the wake of apartheid to sort of sell the, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and its results. They appeal to this ethic to bring a fundamentally broken community together. I asked Metz to, to bring us through the history a little bit there. I think I'm inclined to go first with Tutu. Um, I mean, I think a, a really interesting question is why the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was accepted by South Africans uh, in the wake of, of apartheid, which was judged to be a crime against humanity by the United Nations and is, and is a plausible description um, of that. Um, and as uh, we might know from uh, the basics of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, um, if people had committed uh, uh, individual human rights violations uh, for political purposes during apartheid, and they confessed fully to that uh, and publicly to that, uh, then they would receive amnesty. Uh, they couldn't be prosecuted um, either criminally uh, or civilly. So they couldn't be sued and they couldn't be punished um, if they simply confessed. Um, uh, and so it's uh, what kind of people or what kind of value system would underwrite um, that approach to dealing with horrific uh, injustices uh, uh, committed against people in the past. Um, and there were suggestions um, that it was Christianity and there were suggestions that it's a human rights culture. But I think, um, uh, uh, I think Angie Kroc uh, in her work uh, really shows uh, convincingly 
um, uh, that it was Ubuntu, um, that it was an understanding of uh, humanness uh, that was doing the work. Um, uh, and so I think one way to, to see this, I think, is that uh, uh, when it comes to wrongdoing, the salient idea amongst adherents to Ubuntu is reconciliation, that that should be the ultimate aim. Um, and that notion of relationship, sort of a natural outgrowth of a concern for harmony or community uh, or communal relationship, right? If that's what's special about people is their ability to relate, uh, then the right approach to injustice is going to be one that fosters that relationship. Um, so the focus on reconciliation grows out of an Ubuntu ethic, um, and it makes good sense of uh, uh, it makes some good sense um, of the broad contours of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Um, and another way to see the appeal of a, a reconciliatory model um, is again to think that uh, this ethic is supposed to capture um, a lot of what we find attractive about a family. Um, and so think about what it takes a f for a family to stay together. Um, it would be hard for a family to stay together if they uh, reacted to each other retributively, right? If when somebody did wrong, the attitude was, we're going to make you suffer simply for the sake of suffering, uh, an eye for an eye. Um, it would be tough to maintain bonds. It would also be tough to maintain bonds if uh, uh, if if the family members were utilitarians and they wanted to do what would deter crime and so instill you know, fear in other family members, again, you're not going to get much cohesion. Um, so if we want to make sense of a family and if we want uh, perhaps ideally to model society on, on a healthy family, then we're not going to punish for the sake of retribution or deterrence. Um, we're going to punish but with an eye for some good, uh, namely reconciliation. And I find that a powerful, uh, a powerful idea. Um, and that's more or less what uh, Tutu was, was advocating and how he was making sense of the TRC. Mandela himself would invoke Ubuntu from time to time, but um, it wasn't as prominent, actually. Um, you know, if you look at his sayings, um, uh, you will find some references to it. And I'm sure it must have guided his thought at some level. But, um, you know, I've read Long Walk to Freedom. I've read a lot of his other tracks. And it's just not nearly as prominent as it is in, in Desmond Tutu's reflections and uh, intellectual contributions. And so that's really, it's really where I go uh, uh, when it comes to uh, uh, broader South African society. And I originally planned this interview to fit into a series about the good life, Funding for this project never came through, unfortunately, so I'm producing Metz's interview on its own as a, as a standalone. Perhaps pieces of it will one day make it into a series, but for now, I, I just wanted to publish the interview. So I asked Metz, what does Ubuntu give us in terms of a conception of a good human life? What is a good human life according to Ubuntu? I think in the first instance, it is right to view Ubuntu as giving you an account of the good life or a big picture of how to live. So traditionally, African ethical thought is, is, is similar to uh, ancient Greek thought, um, which, you know, they sought to, the ancient Greeks sought to answer the big question of how should I live? Um, and they didn't tend to divide um, uh, values into moral and non-moral, for example. 
Um, I happen to buy that distinction. I'm, you know, I was trained in modern Western philosophy, and so I do think there's a category of um, uh, uh, of how to live that concerns moral reasons, and there are other uh, reasons that don't have to do with morality, but that are relevant to answering the comprehensive question of how to live. Um, however, uh, traditionally speaking, in African philosophy, we don't get um, uh, we don't get that distinction, and so the answer, uh, broadly speaking, would be that um, uh, you should uh, the good life is one of relationship, um, and then there is, but there are different understandings of. Uh, there are different metaphysical uh, understandings of the world that affect how uh, how this gets interpreted. So, amongst uh, uh, traditional or um, uh, 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 African peoples, um, the thought would be um, that uh, to relate in the right way means not merely amongst physical or visible beings like animals and other persons, but that there's also an invisible realm where one will find God and ancestors and what are called the living dead. So people who have died, um, their bodies have been shorn, but their selves are thought to continue in a form of a force and to still be located here on earth and often at a particular spot, such as a grave. And so traditionally, uh, when we say a person is a person through other persons, uh, the, the idea is um, you want to live in a way that doesn't anger the ancestors um, and that continues to relate harmoniously with family members whose bodies have, uh, uh, whose bodies have died, uh, but whose selves remain. Um, and, you know, in the 21st century and with the influence of the West, this kind of interpretation of, of how to live has, has dwindled. Um, and it's not prominent amongst contemporary moral philosophers. Um, um, uh, even those of African descent, they simply don't tend to emphasize these elements as much. Um, and in my, own, in my own views, I'm quite um, stark about leaving these kinds of contested metaphysical claims aside. Um, and that angers some of my colleagues um, who are more traditional. But, you know, my own aim is to interpret Ubuntu in a way that's of interest to a global audience. Um, and so that means bracketing some, some contested ontologies. Um, so more common, uh, I think, and certainly most prominent in my own view, um, uh, uh, is that we should be focused on um, relating harmoniously with other persons, uh, other human persons. Um, uh, and so the, the standard view, though, is that if you can't relate to other human persons, you can't live well. Um, um, and so if we have a hypothetical Robinson Crusoe who shipwrecked, um, he cannot, uh, it's impossible for him to exhibit Ubuntu. He cannot exhibit humanness. Uh, he cannot, um, I think most Africans would say he couldn't even live a sufficiently good life. It's not merely that he wouldn't live the ideal life. It just wouldn't be sufficiently good if somebody were genuinely um, alone. And I think that makes uh, Ubuntu somewhat distinctive from, from much of the Western tradition, which of course is inclined to recognize uh, values such as justice uh, and friendship, if we think of Aristotle, for example. But uh, uh, beginning with, with uh, Plato and Aristotle, it's also clear that they view virtue as partially constituted um, by ways we treat ourselves. 
Um, and so for them, it would be possible to be more or less virtuous uh, on a deserted island uh, if one were alone there. So for Aristotle, if you do a good job of contemplating the heavens, you track those stars and you do some calculations, uh, you've got some theoretical wisdom, um, and that's going to increase your virtue. Uh, for Plato, roughly, if you, you master uh, your emotions, um, and your desires and get them to align with reason, uh, you get some virtue. But these ideas are, are I, I wouldn't say heretical, but they're, they would be extremely minority views uh, in the African tradition. Uh, the thought is some kind of relationality is, is essential to living well, and in particular, yeah. exhibiting humanness. I thought what Met said about Aristotle was right. But I also read Aristotle saying you need other people to live a fully successful and fully good human life. Aristotle says at one point something to the effect that someone who lives alone away from society like a hermit is either a beast or a god at any rate inhuman. That's right. So the way I read Aristotle is that uh, to live the best life, it has to be social. Um, but it's not the case that virtue is entirely constituted by sociality. Um, uh, so it's, it's essential for the best. It's a contributory condition, but, um, but it's not a necessary condition of virtue for him. At this point in the conversation, I noticed that the Ubuntu vision of the good life sounds sort of Confucian, sort of Greek, sort of Aztec and otherwise Native American. So what is it about Ubuntu's conception of the good life that is distinctive and unique? Yeah. Um, I mean, in some ways, so I've, I've distinguished it from Aristotle's view, um, which, you know, where Aristotle includes some self-regard. Um, I've distinguished it from the ethic of care. So the ethic of care is the prominent relational contender in the West. Um, but I've pointed out that care captures really only half of what African thinkers tend to prize in a relationship. Um, and I think, I think the Africans have got a good... Uh, uh, a good objection to care ethicists. I mean, they are supposedly trying to capture what's valuable about family relationships, and in particular between a, uh, a mother and, a, and an infant or a child. Um, and I think they're missing something. I think it's plausible to think that we don't care merely about care. Um, we also care about people sharing a way of life together. Um, and that it would be at least conceivable that one could care at some distance and it would be a problem. Um, and in fact, I think that's a good explanation of, of part of the problem with COVID is we can still care for each other. We can go out of our way to meet one another's needs. Um, we can try to improve one another's quality of life, but we cannot, it's very difficult to enjoy a sense of togetherness um, uh, and to participate in a, in a face-to-face way that would be, would, would be valued uh, by the African tradition. So we've also got a distinction uh, uh, from uh, the care tradition. And then the Confucian tradition is your right to raise that. Um, and there are fascinating parallels between uh, what I would say is mainstream or classical Confucianism um, and Ubuntu. And we've just literally discovered them over the past 10 years. Um, we hadn't had any comparative philosophy between indigenous uh, Confucian Chinese, East Asian views uh, and, and Ubuntu. Um, uh, for both, uh, 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 there is uh, an instruction to become a real person. And the, you know, the t in Confucianism, it's cultivate your personhood. Um, 
which I think is really more or less the same idea as, as develop your humanness that you'll find in African philosophy. And another similarity is that one is to do so uh, primarily through relationships in the Confucian tradition. Uh, Self-regard is also present in that tradition. Um, uh, but the dominant theme is definitely uh, interpersonal relationships. Um, so that's another, uh, another commonality. Um, and furthermore, uh, Confucians clearly value beneficence um, and uh, relating in ways that are expected to be good um, uh, for others. So that's common ground between them. I think a, a salient difference is uh, the kind of relationship, though, um, uh, that's expected. So I suggested that uh, part of what it is to relate communally is to share a way of life, and part of that, in turn, is to cooperate. And cooperation just isn't as highly valued in the Confucian tradition as it is in the African. Um, the Confucian tradition tends to prize relationships in which there's some kind of difference and where the difference is one of position uh, in, a, in, a, in a hierarchy. And so harmony for them uh, is often a matter of somebody in a superior position, somebody with uh, more education, more virtue, directing uh, those in a, su uh, a subordinate position who aren't as well qualified and directing them in ways that are going to be good for them. Uh, and so uh, 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 Confucians think it's important for rulers uh, uh, to uh, have, uh, not to share power, uh, to, right, for the qualified to, to have a monopoly on political power, albeit to use that power for the sake of those who are being ruled and not for selfish reasons. And the African tradition is much more egalitarian. So when it comes to politics, for example, the standard view is that somebody with Ubuntu would make decisions by sharing power um, and not hoarding it for himself and not necessarily imposing it on others, even if it's good for others. Uh, the standard position is that we should share power equally. Um, and so an interesting, I think a fascinating part of the African tradition uh, is the idea that dictatorship is uh, immoral, but so is majoritarian democracy. Um, because when you have a minority that isn't part of the decision, um, then you can expect that the decision isn't good for that minority. And you would also expect that minority to be alienated as opposed to enjoy a sense of togetherness with the majority. And so these twin values of identity and solidarity or, or sharing a way of life and caring for others' quality of life seems to lead towards a consensual model. Um, and some African philosophers have suggested that uh, parliamentarians should be constitutionally required to come to a unanimous agreement in order for a statute to be counted as, as valid law. Um, and I would like to see a pilot program of that somewhere uh, and to see, to see how it works, whether it could work. Uh, I think it'd be fascinating. I followed up by noting that this sort of thing might cause a lot of gridlock, especially in a place like America, where there's already a lot of political gridlock. That is, that is an obvious worry. But the, the response is, if you know that's the, going to be the result, um, then, uh, then you'll probably make some compromises uh, to, to try to get things going. The other counterexample to that uh, that I really think is fascinating is what happened at the Paris Climate Accords in 2015. Um, and if you look at that, I mean, uh, they used Zulu uh, conflict resolution techniques and in the course of two days brought, what is it, 150 countries more to unanimous agreement uh, about, about climate change. 
Um, and so that's, that's, that's interesting. <laughs> um, if that can be done um, using uh, uh, strategies from indigenous Africans, um, uh, it might be worth trying out at the level of parliament too. At this point, I asked Metz whether I had been teaching this correctly, that the way that I had been teaching Ubuntu ethics was as a view that the community itself is a thing of value. So according to this view, Ubuntu is an ethic that places the most value on communities rather than on individuals and their relationships. But Metz's rendering of Ubuntu seems more focused on individuals and the way they form and maintain relationships with another. It's a subtle but important difference. Do we care primarily about maintaining healthy community, or do we care primarily about individual people being in healthy relationships with one another? There are different... Yes, that is part of the tradition. Um, and I think if, um, if you want a plausible understanding of the African tradition, you've got to account for that. But there are different, different degrees of... Um, to which that is taken seriously. So uh, you do have a, views that I think are extreme and, and implausible. Uh, so Claude Ake, for example, at least in one paper, suggests that the only thing of value ultimately is the group. Um, and he denies that there are human rights, that, that is the rights of individuals against the group. Um, I find that just, um, uh, I find it philosophically weak and I don't even find it a plausible interpretation of the African tradition because it's very clear that uh, most African thinkers believe in human dignity. Um, so we've got, to make, we've got to make space for that. Um, similarly, uh, other African philosophers think that uh, things are right insofar as they conform to the community standards. Um, uh, and again, I find that just a grossly unattractive view. I mean, it's a kind of relativism, and we know the problems uh, with, with relativism. And again, it fails to account for the importance of human dignity. Um, so um, I think a plausible way to capture the idea that groups matter in some way uh, is to point to relationality and to say what makes an, an individual uh, special, what gives her a dignity, is her capacity to relate uh, harmoniously in the way I've spelled out um, as the combination of identity and solidarity. Um, but one way of respecting individuals who have that capacity is to respect their actualizations of the capacity. So where there are actual relationships, right, where there are actual families or groups or clans, um, we need to respect those as a way of showing respect for the individuals um, who've created them. Um, and I think if we if we move in that direction, then we don't have sort of the group lording over the individual. Um, we can uh, account for human rights, but say that a further way of showing respect for individuals is to, is to show respect for the groups they've created uh, or the communities understood in this specific way. So that's my strategy for dealing with it, um, but it's a contentious view. I can't say it's, it's uncontroversial. So I tried to summarize an important aspect of Ubuntu in this way. In respecting the individual or the community, you are thereby respecting the other. In other words, there's no tension between the individual and the community. The good of the individual is the good of the community and vice versa. Acting selfishly may seem to be good for the individual, but it ultimately isn't good for them because they rely so much on their community. That is what African philosophers will often say. I don't, I, I mean, I wish they would articulate it 
bit more often than is done. I've tried to say a bit more than that in, in my response, that what ultimately matters is the individual's ability to relate. And so to respect that capacity, we respect the actualization of it, the actual relationship, and hence, and hence the groups, the ties uh, that fit together. Um, I think that says a bit more, um, but um, uh, as I say, it's only one yeah. interpretation. Yeah, the relationships they've created. That's 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 my view. That's my interpretation. I think I think it yeah. it would resonate with many adherents to Ubuntu. I've taught Ubuntu ethics in environmental ethics before, and in it, I noticed that uh, Ubuntu seems to be fundamentally a human-centric ethics. I asked Metz to comment on what Ubuntu had to say about the relationship between a community of humans and the natural environment or the natural world around it. It's. I think it's complicated. Um, I think it's fair to say that the dominant strain of traditional African thought is anthropocentric. I think that's true. Um, uh, and if you go back to that maxim of a person is a person through other persons, you know, there's no animals in there. <laughs> a person. It doesn't say a person is a person through animals. Um, uh, and uh, so I do think at bottom... Uh, at least I think much of the view has been anthropocentric. And what is often said at this stage is in reply is, well, but look, there's, there are clear um, uh, uh, traditional African societies have clear norms about conservation um, and about uh, not abusing animals in the wild and taking care of, of natural resources. Um, and that is true as well. Um, however, if you scratch the surface and you ask, well, why? Um, uh, what's the reason um, for not killing these animals or protecting the natural environment? Then you see the anthropocentrism again. You know, then you'll get an exp traditionally you'll get an explanation like, well, the uh, the clan as a whole owns the land; it doesn't belong to any particular individual, and so you're effectively stealing if you if you are uh, destructive in that way. Or sometimes the view is, well, there's an ancestor who lives in the forest and you're disturbing his home if you, if you, uh, if you chop it down. Um, and so, again, these are, the, these are the standard kinds of moves to make about why we should uh, uh, be environmentally aware. Um, however, uh, there have been some moves um, uh, over the past uh, 10 or 20 years to reinterpret the tradition in a way that would make it non-anthropocentric. And there are two moves that have been made. Um, so one is to um, uh, bring out a facet of traditional African thought I haven't really emphasized yet. So I mentioned earlier that a, a standard view of a sort of traditional view is that the world is, uh, has a visible part and an invisible part. Um, and that there are agents in the invisible realm, God, ancestors, and the living dead. A further element of that view is that that realm and also the visible realm are composed of vital forces. So instead of distinct substances populating the universe, the thought is it's populated by various forces that are uh, often called life forces or vital forces because they're thought to have all come from God, uh, the ultimate source of life. Um, and so if you, if you have that picture of, um, of the universe, uh, what, what fits with it neatly uh, is the thought that we can distinguish different beings based on the quality or, uh, or quantity of, of vitality they've got. 
Uh, and so one, one common view is uh, rocks are alive. They've got divine energy that's come from God, but they're not as lively as plants. Um, and plants aren't as, uh, don't have as much vital force as animals, um, and humans have more than, uh, than animals, and ancestors have even more than we do, by the way. Um, and then we can not merely rank them according to degree of life force, but we can as- ascribe uh, different degrees of moral status uh, in accordance with that. And, and you get it's a plausible view of, of how to rank beans in the world. I mean, if I had to choose between running over a pebble and a plant, I should run over the pebble and plant cat. Well, I should run over the plant and, and you work your way up. And um, I think this sort of great chain of being uh, picture is really worth taking seriously. And so some African philosophers have suggested, look, animals matter for their own sake because they have a certain, a certain degree of vitality in them uh, that's greater than what plants and rocks have. If you had to choose between uh, running over an animal and a human, well, you should save the human because it's stronger, more complex, more creative um, uh, uh, than, uh, than the cat or the animal. Um, but it matters for its own sake. Um, and that's one, that's one strain. Um, uh, my own attempt to account for animal rights hasn't appealed to this sort of thick metaphysics. Um, uh, and even when you get rid of the metaphysics, I think an appeal to vitality uh, uh, it gives you too, much, uh, too many counterintuitive implications. I mean, the poor sloth ends up looking, <laughs> uh, looking like it's low uh, compared to you know, some other animal that's, that seems to uh, matter equally. Um, uh, but is more <laughs> more vibrant. Um, so my own attempt has been to reinterpret harmony and community um, in a way that would, would make sense of animals. And so my own view has uh, that I've tried to work with for about 10 years now has been to suggest that, okay, animals can't relate harmoniously with us, right? They can't enjoy a sense of togetherness with us. They can't cooperate with us. They can't go out of their way to help us for our own sake. But we can do these things with them. Right? They've got intentions uh, we can, that we can support. Um, they've got goals uh, that we can foster. Uh, we can enjoy a sense of identity, identity with many of them. Uh, we can make them better off and we can, we can act altruistically. We can do it for their sake and out of sympathy. Um, and so uh, 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 since they can be objects of the relevant communal relationship, I want to say they've got a partial moral status. Uh, they matter for their own sake. Uh, we shouldn't eat them. We shouldn't hunt them, uh, and so on. Um, but if the choice were between a being that could be merely the object of a communal relationship and one that can be a subject, like us, who've got a dignity, well, then we win. So I've tried to capture some of that great chain of being idea uh, to a capture, you know, to make sense of of trade-offs uh, that we might have to make. Finally, I asked Metz if he had any last thoughts to share. No, I think we've covered a lot of ground. Um, I think I think one thing I want to say, or one thing I still I find compelling about uh, African ethics, um, is its ability to deal with partial obligations. Um, so I think that's I think it's a real weakness for Kantianism and utilitarianism. The natural understanding of them is impartial theories. Um, um, 
Um, I think it's tough for them to make sense of, of obligations between family members and other kinds of, of intimates, uh, even colleagues in a department. I don't think that they, they can really make good sense. So, you know, if I think about why am I obligated to continue looking after my sons, it's not because they're the worst off uh, by any means. Um, <laughs> my kids are privileged. Um, so if I were a utilitarian, I'd stop spending on their games and whatever, and even their fancy high school, and um, I'd send the money to hungry people or some other kids. And if I'm a Kantian, it looks like, um, well, I you know, would be obligated to my kids if I'd promised to continue looking after them, but I don't think I ever promised to do it. Um, I certainly never said it. Um, I don't think it was ever implied by anything I did. Um, I don't think I promised. Um, I don't think there's a duty of fair play involved. That's the other Kantian move to make sense of particular obligations to aid. Um, it's not as though my kids have benefited me and I therefore must go out of my way to benefit them back. Uh, surely not. Um, it's got to be something else. And I think the appeal to communal or harmonious relationship is a really nice explanation, right? The reason for me to look after my kids is we've shared a life and we've cared for one another. Uh, it's the combination of those two things. Um, it's been very tight and it's been very long lasting and intense. And that would naturally explain why I've got a greater obligation to look after them than others. Um, and I think that kind of model can be extended to colleagues in a department, uh, people who share a country, uh, neighbors. Uh, the bonds are weaker. Um, they're not as intense. And they might not be as long lasting. But that also, I think, nicely explains why the obligations are weaker um, uh, uh, to, these, to these folks than to our kids. Um, and so I think it's a real advantage of, of Ubuntu compared to at least standard, uh, standard Western moral thinking. I hope you enjoyed learning about Ubuntu ethics and the good life. Remember, I am because we are. Thank you to our Patreon patrons who help pay the ongoing bills. I'm not producing a lot these days, but I am very appreciative of the help to keep the podcast online, which is not free. Thanks, y'all. <laughs>